Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the internalcustomer.com podcast. This is part two of our inaugural episode. This time, we'll turn the table around and talk to Nick about what he does. Nick, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody, or hello again. My name is Dr. Nick Thomas. I am an assistant professor at Iowa State University. I teach in the hospitality program. In terms of my area of focus, it's very similar to Dr. Brown's, uh, Eric and I both do research related to human resources, the management of human capital. I teach classes related to hospitality law, as well as the basic and advanced hospitality human resource courses. In terms of my industry experience, like Eric, a lot of my industry experience was in the lodging industry, but I also have significant experience in the casino entertainment industry, specifically in Las Vegas, Nevada. And could you go ahead and fill us in a little bit about what HR experience you have in the hospitality industry? I've really, my hospitality career has taken on two somewhat parallel tracks, I like to say, when I do introductions for my students. Initially, I focused on hotel operations, uh, particularly in the area of the front office. And then I had an opportunity when I was working in California, uh, I got a call from one of my mentors one day and asked me if I'd like to assist in the opening of a casino property in Las Vegas. It wasn't going to be a position that focused on hotel operations as much, but it really got me into the human resource side of things. And from that, then I stayed in human resources at that particular property once my consulting project was done uh, and then moved over to human resources at another casino property uh, very close by. Which, which I think was a great transition because working in human resources really got me passionate about teaching as well as doing research in the areas of human resources once I got into academia full-time. Very good. And you actually have a quite interesting path that you've taken since you graduated with your PhD. Can you just address kind of where you've been, how you got to Iowa State University? My wife, Lisa, is also uh, a... PhD, was a PhD student with me, and it's, it's appropriate to kind of bring her up at this point for two reasons. One, that she's a huge part of my life, uh, but also a lot of the things that we've done professionally in academia, we've done together. When we were in the process of finishing up our PhDs at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, I had an opportunity to go over and teach at UNLV Singapore campus for a summer. Absolutely loved it. Really enjoyed the opportunity to live overseas uh, for that summer, met a lot of absolutely wonderful people, and was really excited to be involved in the opening of UNLV's first international campus there. Then as uh, I came back to the U.S. and was continuing to work on my Ph.D., and in our last year, uh, Lisa and I were asked if we would like to go over and live in Singapore full-time, and that's what we did. We finished our Ph.D.'s Uh, while we were also working as faculties and then later on members of the administration at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, the Singapore campus. We stayed there for almost two years living in Singapore, and it was, again, it was an absolutely wonderful experience. We got to travel throughout Asia uh, and really be a part of a unique academic environment. From there, we were asked to be on the faculty at DePaul University, in their School of Hospitality Leadership, and very similar to UNLV, this was a, uh, UNLV Singapore program, this was a small program that was just starting out, and we were, we were happy to, 
to move to Chicago and become members of the faculty at DePaul. We were there for just over two years, and then through a professional network and through some openings that existed, both Lisa and I accepted assistant professor positions at Iowa State University, and we subsequently then moved to to Ames, where we reside now. Uh, Lisa's primary focus is on the event management side, where mine's on the kind of HR and the hospitality side. So while we're kind of within the same program, we um, we have some differences in, in respect to what we teach. So that's kind of how we, we ended up being here. It wasn't necessarily a traditional route that someone would, would take to an assistant professor program, but have no regrets and absolutely loved all the experiences that we've had leading up to this. Last time on the podcast, we talked a little bit about research interests, um, particularly my interests, but could you address a little bit how yours overlap and then also maybe the research that you did prior to joining Iowa State University? In terms of research requirements, the, the positions we held in both Singapore as well as DePaul really didn't have a research component to it, although we, I, I still did research. Here, my primary focus, like yours, is on human resources-related issues. And that's a, that's a pretty broad topic. That can cover everything from recruitment, selection, job analysis, kind of the traditional staffing roles to training and development, to compensation and benefits, to health and safety. It can focus on labor relations, dealing with collective bargaining and unions. Mine traditionally focuses on things related to job satisfaction and turnover. I choose to focus on that for a couple of reasons, and they primarily revolve around the fact that it's it's an area that is really somewhat universal to all organizations. Every organization, regardless of what country they're located in or what industry they're in, has issues related to turnover and job satisfaction. Another area that I like to look at is issues related to gender in the workplace, specifically what we can do to chip away at the glass ceiling, the things that we can do to ensure that masculine and feminine leadership characteristics are embraced in organizations. And strangely enough, that, that kind of focus on gender research actually is something that's very close to my heart in the sense that my mother, when she did her doctoral work, she focused on gender issues. But instead of focusing in hospitality like I do, she focused on gender issues in the federal government. So nearly two, three decades later, here I am, I think, somehow, some, in some way, picking up the torch that she lit. Uh, so I get, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. I think the, the, the area is there's a significant gap that exists in the literature, and, and we were always taught in our doctoral work, just like you were probably taught in your doctoral work, to you know, really focus on an area where a gap exists, where there isn't sufficient literature, there isn't sufficient research done. And I think the area of gender in the workplace is probably one of those areas that's, that has a pretty significant gap associated with it. So I, I guess the short answer to your question is human resources. The, the little bit longer answer would probably be job satisfaction, turnover, gender issues in the workplace. But that being said, I like to think that I'm somewhat flexible. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I think you and I have, have collaborated so well is that we really do research to benefit all individuals, that to just sit here and narrow our focus so much that we just focus on job satisfaction, that's kind of painting ourselves into a corner. I think we have to be flexible to really 
meet the needs of what the industry tells us, what the needs of our students are, what the what kind of what we see in terms of trends throughout the service sector. Okay, and also last time we talked a little bit about how we'd like to take our research and introduce it to kind of new audiences, such as hospitality professionals, whether it be hotel managers, restaurant managers, casino managers, and so on. How do you take the research that you do or we do and bring it into the classroom? I think one of the things that I try to do is think very cognizantly about the fact that HR is a very fluid and dynamic topic. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. One of the ways that I really try to highlight that fact for myself, my students, and my colleagues is really through embracing of social media. I think that I'm one of these instructors or faculty members that I don't I don't necessarily require my students to get on to social media, but I absolutely encourage them to to utilize it, to go out and, and see what's going on in the world. We're, we're kind of some, sometimes faced with the challenge that we teach and live in the middle of Iowa, um, and we don't have immediate access to what's going on in other parts of the U.S. and around the world, and, and social media is a huge way to, to really meet that need. So I encourage the use of that. That's probably a great way. I think in our own research is a, is a great way to, to kind of create a product that's usable in the classroom. By us going out and talking to industry professionals, by us going out and looking to see how do the trends that are existing impact the industry, I think that that creates a lot of useful information for the classroom. So one of the projects we're currently working on is related to mentorship particularly how Generation Y employees enter the hospitality industry and how mentorship can impact them. How do you foresee that working or how do you foresee that becoming something that industry professionals use? You know, I think it probably makes sense to go back and talk a little bit about the catalyst of this research. I mean, I think that in a lot of the literature that we're seeing now coming out in the Hospitality Academy, we see people highlighting gener- issues related to Generation Y, also known as the Millennials, and, and more specifically, how the management of this generation differs from that of Generation X and the baby boomers. And so one of the ways in which we really kind of improve job satisfaction and we improve turnover and we improve morale in an organization is through mentorship programs. I've been very fortunate in my career Uh, both in academia as well as in the hospitality industry, to have some absolutely great mentors that I still, to this day, talk to, uh, to this day that I still seek their advice. And, And I think that this issue of mentorship is something that can't be overlooked. So with this research, what we wanted to really do is we wanted to ascertain a couple things. Number one, does Generation Y feel like they have an opportunity to participate in mentor programs from the perspective of a mentee. We know that in the research that baby boomers and Generation X want to be mentors to people, they have this great wealth of knowledge that as they're transitioning out of the workforce into retirement, one of their parting kind of pay it forward gifts to the new generation is through these mentorship roles. And I'm really curious, and I know you are as well, to see does a mentorship program for a Generation Y mentee look different than it did with Generation X and the baby boomers? 
And I think what we also want to look at is, okay, if that is the case, if mentorship is different when a Generation Y employee is your mentee, what, what are the companies doing about that? How are they redesigning existing mentor programs if they have mentorship programs at all? We see that the role of a mentor can really be somebody that assists in the transition of a Generation Y individual from their collegiate experience, their senior year, kind of graduating and then moving into industry. By having a mentor, that transition is so much easier. That, that transition allows them to have an accurate representation of what it's like to go into the workforce. It provides an accurate representation of what their responsibilities are. But at the same time, if we rely on baby boomers and Generation X to provide this guidance, how is that going to be received by Generation Y? We don't know that yet. And that's one of the things that we're looking at in this research and, and what we're doing, and we talked about this in the last podcast, is we're actually seeking financial assistance to help study this through a grant. The grant that we're uh, specifically targeting is the American Hotel and Lodging Association grant. And really what this is designed to do is we're going to look at this from the perspective of the lodging industry. When we look at the lodging industry in the United States, we deal with a industry that has 52,000 plus properties. We're dealing with over 4 million hotel rooms in this country. This is an industry that if they don't figure out how to manage this, this generation that's entering into their workforce, they're going to have some significant problems when it comes to job satisfaction, morale, and turnover. So this idea of mentoring is maybe just one little pebble in a huge sea, but I think it's, it's going to be somewhat impactful. Obviously, we'll talk more about the research we're doing um, in future podcasts, but just felt like a little bit of an introduction to what we're doing currently would be useful to our listeners. To continue on, let's learn a little bit more about you. Um, in your current role as an assistant professor at Iowa State University, what do you uh, consider to be the thing that you like most about what you do? You know, we kind of talked about this in the last podcast, and I think when, when I, I'm approached by somebody that I've never met before and they ask me what I do, my initial visceral reaction is always to say that I'm a teacher. I, I think at the end of the day, while research is 40% of my job and service to the industry and to the institution is another 20%, 40% of what I do is still teaching. And it's being a teacher. I teach four classes a year. It's what we call a 2-2. So I teach two classes each semester. And then I'll probably pick up some summer classes here and there. But I think one of the most rewarding things that I do personally and professionally is actually be in the classroom. I absolutely love interacting with students. This, a lot of this goes back to my experience working in training in the hospitality industry, that there's nothing to me more rewarding than seeing that moment in a student's eyes when they grasp a concept or you see them progress from not knowing anything about a particular topic to having an ability to recite the key issues or the key themes or the key kind of principles around a particular topic, whether it's human resources, whether it's service, whether it's operations related. To me, that's an extremely rewarding feeling. I would think probably a close second to that is really helping students identify what it is they want to do with their life professionally. 
The hospitality industry happened to be very, very good to me. It, it afforded me opportunities to travel, meet a lot of wonderful people. And if I can help students get a better understanding of what hospitality is like, what that industry is like, what sort of wide spectrum of opportunities that exist out there, if, if I can help them kind of gain some knowledge and figure out exactly what it is they want to do, I lay down in bed at night with, with a smile on my face. That's very important to me. There is a lot to be said about the number of people that we can impact through teaching. It's not about just teaching them the concepts, but it's more so teaching them how to be successful in the future. Sure, we could teach them about HR theories or leadership theories, but if we're able to bring in the latest research to our classrooms, the latest ideas, the latest concepts, and make them really critically think about what it means to be an HR manager, what it means to be a leader in the hospitality industry, and how they can go out and be successful, uh, that makes a huge difference. If I have a student come back and tell me the, the greatest thing that they learned in my class was XYZ, and they were able to use it within the industry while they're working, um, that'd be really rewarding to me, and I think that's probably similar for you. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that 100%. I, I mean, I think also what we try to do, and I try to convey, and I, and I'm, I had two students in my office yesterday at different times, and, and the end result of our discussion was pretty much the same. Every student has a very... Will, will have and has had a very unique life experience. And I think that so much of what we do with that critical thinking idea you mentioned is to help students critically think through the process of determining what is their path going to look like? What is their career going to look like? You know, I had a particular student in my office yesterday that, that we were talking about opportunities to go work overseas and you know, what, what is it that he really wants? What is going to make him happy in terms of a career? And I think that that is, that's a question that so many students need to ask themselves. And I don't, and I don't think we as a whole in academia do that. We, we see our relationship with students as the 50 minutes inside that classroom. And we fail to realize that in terms of a mentor, in terms of a guide, in terms of whatever you want to call it, we are we spend so much time with our students. I mean, in terms of a mentor, we probably spend more times as faculty with our students than any other adult that could have an impact on their life at this point in their career or in kind of in this point in their progression. So I don't take the, the responsibility of being a faculty member lightly. I think it's an extremely important responsibility. I think it's a task that, and I, and I say this not to kind of puff out my chest, but it's, it's not something that everybody is capable of doing. And I think that it's also a process that I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly evolving just because I've been doing this for years and years doesn't mean I'm fantastic at it. I still go to professional development seminars. I still find new innovative ways to bring technology into the classroom. I'm, I'm still challenged every semester. There seems to be students that just aren't grasping the concept, so I have to modify what I do somewhat. So it's that challenge that I really enjoy and, and embrace. Absolutely. And I think one of the 
other topics we could talk about a little bit is the fact that the classroom, yeah, it is 50 minutes. We meet probably two, three times a week, but we can teach many different HR, management, leadership, law. There's lots of theories, concepts, or actual laws that we can teach to the students, but how they use that information is going to be unique to each individual student. We did write a blog post about faculty mentorship and the fact that we are open to students coming and asking about uh, topics we talked in class or other topics as far as how does this apply to me. I'm thinking about going into the club management industry. How does this law apply to me or how does this leadership concept apply to me? And it's something that we can make a little bit more unique for that individual. But in the big classroom, it is really about the discussions and then also learning the theories and learning the concepts and learning what's going on currently in the industry. Could you talk a little bit about what you do as far as helping mentor undergraduate students in order to prepare to leave education and go into the industry? I mean, I think you're right on. I mean, it's in the, in the two or three times a week that I meet with my students, I mean, between my two classes this semester, I have nearly 200 students. It's absolutely impossible to customize a lecture on a particular topic for the interests that every student has. If, if I looked at, let's say, my Introduction to Human Resources class, I've got over 100 students in that class. And I'm going to sit and I'm going to talk about the laws pertaining to equal employment opportunities. So we talk about the Equal Pay Act. We talk about Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. We talk about the Family Medical Leave Act. We talk about the Americans with Disabilities Act. I can't sit here and say, this is how it applies in private clubs. This is how it applies in hotels. This is how it applies in restaurants. This is an example from the casino industry. This is an example from the airline or the cruise industry. That's impossible to do. Would I love to do that in a perfect world? I think so. I mean, the, the goal of any instructor or any faculty member is to be able to customize your content to each individual learner. But we're not afforded that luxury. We have to take somewhat of a utilitarian approach to how we teach. So what I, what I really do is through my, through my assessment of my students, I encourage them to really kind of apply it to their own life. So for example, in my... One of the very first assignments I have my human resources students do is I say, okay, we've talked about these basic employment laws that are present within the United States. I want you to pick an industry, and I want you to pick a dream job, and I want you to say, if you had the power, how would you change these laws? What would you do? Would you completely modify the ADA? Would you completely modify Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, when I have them go out and in the job analysis, job design, workforce planning module, I go out and I say, okay, don't just analyze an existing job description from a front desk agent at XYZ Hotel. I say, create one. Create one based on a, on a perfect scenario of where you are in five to 10 years. So I try to, to get them to, on their own, apply the content that we've talked about to what is of interest to them. Because I'm a firm believer that it's so much easier to learn when you're learning about topics that are of interest to you. And if I can find a way to take human resources, which admittedly can at times be a very boring subject to learn about, if I can find ways for them to apply it in their own life or their own career, I think that makes, makes it so much better. 
What I also do is I, I really encourage them to come meet with me individually during office hours. Um, and because that is a time where I can really, we can have a dialogue. So much of, as much as we try to make our classes interactive, at the end of the day, I think you would probably agree that the classroom experience is somewhat of a monologue, that we're up there lecturing to the students. That's not a perfect scenario. I mean, I would love it to be an equal dialogue where they interact as much as I'm talking to them. But that's not the case, and that's, that's maybe a conversation for another podcast. But really, the office time, the visiting me during office hours, is a time for us one-on-one to have a dialogue. And I absolutely, as much as I encourage my students to do that, and as much as I tweet, these are my office hours today, come see me, you can talk to me about anything, I, I think students could take advantage of that more. They, they really don't. There's the you know, first couple weeks of the semester where they're so busy kind of figuring out their schedule and figuring out who I am. And then the last couple some weeks of the semester are studying for finals. And when you look at it, it's only about eight to 10 weeks in the center. Um, so, so I think I, I would really, while I like students coming to visit me, I think we could do a much better job of encouraging students to come talk to us during office hours. That's such a, a useful period of time. I couldn't agree more. And I think the issue is that we do hold office hours. Many times students feel that, well, I should only go to office hours if I have a specific question related to the class or I have a specific question related to an assignment or an exam. But realistically, if we have students come, that'd be more than welcome because we are in the office. Granted, we have other work that we're probably doing when students aren't there, but we dedicate that time to the students. So if they are able to come and talk to us, we're, we more than welcome it. Yeah, I think, I think what to, to kind of add to that, I think what, what I think so many students fail to realize is building a strong professional relationship with faculty members can be a great resource for you. When it comes time to get those letters or recommendations, serve as a reference, maybe that letter of recommendation is for our job, maybe that letter of recommendation is for grad school, Whatever it might be, I'm very hesitant to, to do things like that, to go above and beyond for students that I don't know, that are just a face in the crowd. I'm, I will bend over backwards to help you get the ideal job you want or help you get into the grad school that you want if I know you and I have an established professional relationship with you. And I think that's what students fail to recognize so many times. Absolutely. And we're actually starting to run close to our end here, but I wanted to ask one more question about uh, you personally. If you uh, could share just one hobby that you have that everyone should know about. My ideal hobby right now would be playing golf. But as I sit here talking to you, I'm looking outside a window at about four inches of snow. We actually had school canceled today because we're experiencing a blizzard here in Iowa. Um, but I really enjoy playing the game of golf. I think that there, to me, it's a, it's a relaxing game. To me, it's something that it's good exercise. It's wonderful to get out in nature and kind of pristine environments. And from a professional standpoint, I think it's a great tool to kind of network and interact with colleagues. So I've always been a, a big fan of golf. I've, I've played since I was 13 or 14 years old and I've, I have always tried to kind of follow it and keep my game up. So that's probably a, a big one for me. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to get to know Nick, Dr. Nick Thomas a little bit more. Um, if you feel like there are any questions that you'd like to ask either Dr. Nick Thomas or myself, feel free to let us know. You can 
fill out the form on our website, or you could email us individually, Nick being Nick at internalcustomer.com, myself being Eric at internalcustomer.com, and we will see you next time.